the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. North Dakota, South Dakota, or you. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Lord.
Yes, Lord. Please. Mighty God of heaven, we come to humble our hearts before you, to repent of all sin, to be made new. We come today asking that America could be brought to a place of repentance, that you would not allow this nation to be destroyed by communism or wickedness. We ask that there be a great resurgence of humbleness in our hearts. That the fight would end. That we would stand strong against the kingdom of darkness and give ourselves wholeheartedly to the kingdom of light, to its advancement, to the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. Lord, please, hear our humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass America by. Lord, we have fasted and we have prayed now we wait as we cast our votes to see the deliverance the Lord will bring. If we have found favor in your sight, please deliver America today from the powers of darkness, the kingdom of lies, the kingdom of the dishonest. And let revival begin in our land. I pray in your holy name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I was up early this morning. Weeping before the Lord praying, humbling my heart, saying, Lord, this has to, this has to happen today. America has to be delivered. We need the miracle hand of God in this nation. I'm praying for peace. I'm praying that all destruction would be rebuked. All unrighteousness would be rebuked. 
that all corruption would be exposed, that we as the church would rise up with a backbone, that we would not be friends with the world. I want to share two scriptures with you. The first is found in the book of James. I'll begin with verse 4. James, the third chapter, verse 4. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with reference to God? Consequently, whoever may be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit with who dwelt in us desires us with jealousy, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, you must be subject to God and must resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You must draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You must cleanse your hands, you sinners. You must purify your hearts, you double-minded. You must lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be changed to mourning and the joy to heaviness. You must be humbled before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And then First Peter, the fifth chapter. You must put on humility, because God sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Consequently, you must be humbled under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the right time, having cast all of your worries upon him because he cares for you. You must be sober. You must be alert. Your accuser, the devil, is walking around as a roaring lion seeking somebody that he may devour. You must set yourself against him. Another way of saying, brace yourself. Brace yourself. You must set yourself against him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are being endured by your brotherhood in the world. Now the God of all grace, the one having called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after having suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and power into the ages of the age. Amen. Today is a day to 
humble our hearts before Almighty God. I want to tell you, I know how the battle ends. I read the last chapters of Revelation, and it tells me Jesus wins. Now, it's essential that we begin to understand clearly what the kingdom of God is about. And it is about righteousness. The kingdom of God is not about hidden knowledge. The kingdom of God cannot be imparted to you. Mysticism can be imparted. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be imparted to you. You must see the historical significance and you must see the doctrinal issues. And you must come to Jesus as you are and turn from your sin and be made new in the likeness of Jesus. This is not a mystical process. The scriptures say that the kingdom of God is a mystery. Now, please understand what I'm saying. Mystery and mysticism are two very different things. A mystery is not mystic or mysticism. Mysticism, as defined, is a way of thinking. It's not a doctrine. It's a way of looking at things. And by meditation and by having the secret knowledge, you can come into oneness with God. Always through the ages, Gnostics and mystics have tried this method of following Jesus, and it does not work. I want to take a short aside for a moment, please. I am extremely concerned about something I see happening in the body of Christ. I see it in the prophetic realm, even considering who will win the election. I see it in a number of different areas. I see it in our theological understandings. I see it in the teachings of many pastors and lay people. Let me identify clearly what it is. The scriptures were given to us by inspiration. Revelation is clear. I am not to add anything to the book of Revelation, but I think that that means all of scripture. I am not to add to or take away from the word of God. Now, the problem we have, and it's a major problem, is that somehow we want to add to what Scripture says. We want to add our own interpretation, our private understanding. 
We want to explain things from our frame of reference. And so many have been led astray. The first place that a man is usually led astray is the way he looks at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Some, in mystical understandings, try to divide Jesus into the historical Jesus and the cosmic Christ. That's mysticism 101, and it's false teaching. It's not found in the scriptures. You can twist the scriptures, but what does the word Christ mean in the scriptures? What comes from the Greek word Christos, And it simply means the anointed one. The anointed one. Priests, prophets, kings were anointed. Jesus is called the anointed one. Now, in the Hebrew, it's Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, biblically, what we are saying is Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah is not his name, it's his function. His name is Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. But some want to separate Jesus and Messiah and say that Christ is the cosmic Christ and Jesus is the historic Jesus. That's utterly false to Scripture. You can't divide Jesus. Jesus, the man, fully God and fully man, born of a virgin. That's the Christian theology. That's the biblical understanding. Not the cosmic Christ versus the historical Christ. Well, do you see what happens? If we divide that, we now can begin to talk about the mystical knowing of the cosmic Christ. And then the teacher will begin to say things like, this is not doctrine I'm teaching you. I'm imparting something to you. Mystics impart. Biblical scholars, preachers, don't impart. They teach the doctrine of Christ. They teach the truth of Scripture. So very quickly, we can be led astray, or we can go to other parts of Scripture, and we can identify certain problems. There seems to be something missing here. Well, I'll fill it in, and I'll tell you what it means. Wrong. I have a very basic biblical hermeneutic. And that is, I do not go beyond what the scriptures say, ever. I'm not going to teach something that is not clearly taught in the scriptures. I'm not going to go beyond and add to the word of God with my private interpretation. That is an invitation to go into darkness. 
Right now, the church is struggling with this, violently struggling with it, because churches in their buildings have been closed down. And so, husband and wife sit down and watch the video of the preacher in the church building, and they say, we've been to church. No, they haven't. They've been to a video. Or a father will gather his family and he'll teach them the word of God and call that church. That's not church. That's family worship. Family worship is not church. I grew up in a home where morning and evening the family gathered in the living room and either mother or father would read to us from the scriptures and explain and help us understand what the scriptures were saying. And then we would all pray together. That was family worship. It was not church. Church is when the saints of God gather together. Families gather together. Well, you say we can't do that now. Yes, we can. What do you think they do in China? Do you think they obey the law in China to not gather for the church? Are you kidding me? The church gathers in every land, whether it's legal or illegal. They make their way from different places. They gather in one place so that they might serve one another, that they might be able to lift each other up and encourage each other in the journey. Jesus comes and meets with them. The pastor is there to help equip them to do their work of ministry that week as they speak to other people about the gospel and invite other people. There is the missionary element to a church. And if you don't have a missionary element, you are not a church. If you don't have the saints of God gathering together, you don't have church. Church, by definition, is the Greek word ekklesia, meaning the called out ones. The church is the called out ones, not one family but families gathering together in the privacy of a public building or in the privacy of a private home. Home churches were the way the church met originally. Thank God in China, home churches are vibrant and alive, but they are not a husband, wife, and two or three children. Very quickly, others are converted by the gospel. And they risk their lives to gather in the name of Jesus to be the church. But Americans, we want to cheapen church and we want to say, oh, I sat down and watched the video. I went to church today. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. That's not church. You see, we must not go beyond What the scriptures say, we're not free to define church any way we choose. 
we're not free to add or subtract from the scriptures based on our whim and what we think. So what is the mystery of the kingdom of God? It's not the mysticism of the kingdom of God. It's the mystery of the kingdom of God. What is the mystery? Well, the mystery is that it is among us. It is in us. Jesus dwells in us by his spirit. We are brought into the kingdom of God. But the mystery is that the kingdom of God has come into the earth. And yet it doesn't appear to be taking over the earth. It looks like just the opposite is happening. Christians are being killed off all over the world. The Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, China. Christians are being murdered. So we look at the reality now of the mystery of the kingdom of God, which is, where is the church? Where is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said it was like leaven placed in a lump of dough. And slowly it would work its way through that whole lump. I can tell you now the kingdom of God, according to Daniel 2, was the rock cut out from the mountain without hands and struck the whole world's system on its feet, ground it to powder, wind blew it away, and the mountain grew until it filled the whole earth. The mystery of the kingdom of God is that it's not fully realized yet. George Ladd, in his wonderful book on the kingdom, explains this issue and says, look, the kingdom of God is among us, but it's not fully realized yet. We live in the in-between place of the beginning of the kingdom of God being established on the earth by the death of Jesus on the cross. And the final consummation with the coming of Jesus in the clouds of glory. It requires of us that we humble our heart before God and before each other. And we submit to what the scriptures teach, not to what we want, not to what we believe, but the actual words of the scripture. Not adding or taking away from the scripture, either in practice, as outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, or in philosophy, or in belief. The scriptures are the final court of what is right and wrong. If what we believe is not reflected in the scriptures, we have been led astray, and we must repent. And the modern church has been led astray and is being even led more astray now by this COVID-19. We must humble our hearts. Jesus came preaching, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. That's the Sermon on the Mount at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then in Mark, we find another indicator, a very clear indicator about this kingdom of God. I'll begin reading in Mark, the first chapter, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What is the gospel? The good news that the kingdom of God is among us, and it will be consummated at the great second coming of Jesus Christ. And we will, through eternity, be a part of the kingdom of God if we have repented, be made clean by the blood of Jesus, left our sin. But let me read it for you. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near you. You must repent and must believe in the gospel. So Jesus comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he does not stop then and say, now please, let me teach you the mystical understanding of the kingdom of God. You have to get this. I'm going to impart this to you now. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said you must repent. You must be washed in the blood. You must be cleansed. Now, verse 17 And Jesus said to them, You must follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So Jesus, right in the first chapter of Mark, tells us the mystery of the kingdom of God has come. You must believe in that kingdom, and you must repent, and you must follow me. And if you repent... And if you follow me, I'll let you share with me in the work of the kingdom of God. Well, what is the work of the kingdom of God? According to 1 John, it is first and foremost to destroy the works of the devil. And secondly, it's to save us from our own sin. It's to bring us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's to break the bondage of wickedness, to remove our sin, to forgive us, to make us new. This requires a humble heart. And Jesus speaks at length about this mystery In Luke, the 8th chapter, he teaches a parable. And this parable, he says, I'm giving a parable so that those seeing they may not see 
and though hearing they may not understand. Isaiah 6, 9. In other words, he's giving a parable so that those who do not want to understand will not understand. It's a choice on our part whether we want to understand what the kingdom is and begin to repent. And if we repent and we choose to follow Jesus, we will understand the words that he's now speaking. He is speaking these words to a people who have not repented and they don't understand it. To them, it's just an interesting story. But the disciples come privately to him and they ask about the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God that has been given. That's what Jesus said in verse 9. The disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, I want you to walk with me through these wonderful secrets of the kingdom of God. And I want you to understand that not one of these secrets is mystical. Not one of these secrets is mystical. It's not about hidden knowledge that I somehow have to meditate and seek after and someone has to impart to me this hidden knowledge, as in Gnosticism, It's not hidden knowledge that will bring me into an ecstatic experience with Jesus. See, in Buddhism, there is this mystical experience. In Hinduism, there is this mystical experience. But in the New Testament, it's not a mystical experience. It's infilling with the Holy Spirit according to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift from Jesus. It's not based on my learning some secret knowledge. It is the coming of the kingdom of God and the rule of God and the authority of God over my life that causes me to repent of my sin and to turn aside from my own selfish heart. Remember, Jesus said, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when there's a beam in your own eye. That's why I have been speaking against opinion and now today mysticism. Going beyond the scriptures making them say something they don't mean and don't say. Here's the parable. There was a a farmer. He went out to to sow his seed, to plant his seed. He had a, a bag over his shoulder and and down here at his hand and it was filled with seed. And so he'd take the seed and he'd throw it out like that. I've done it many times. Throw it out like that. Knowing that everywhere it landed, he wanted it to grow and produce a crop, a grain. 
wheat or barley or another grain. So this farmer was out after he'd plowed the ground. He was out spreading his seed. And as he spread it, there was a path along the field and some of the seeds fell on that path. Now the path was trampled on, packed soil. And the birds of the air fell on it and immediately picked it up and carried it away. Well, some fell on rocky soil where it was very shallow and that seed came up very quickly and then the plants withered because it, the soil was so shallow it didn't maintain any moisture. And some of the seeds fell where there were thorns. And of course the thorns are going to grow and they're going to block the sunlight and they're going to crowd out the grain. They're going to steal all the moisture. But some of the seed fell on good soil. And that seed that fell on good soil yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. So now they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, would you tell us what this means, what this is all about? I don't understand. Well, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the scripture. It's what Jesus was teaching. The seed that fell along on the path fell on hearts that were very hard, very religious. They knew what they believed. They they were confident in what they knew. They were arrogant and proud in what they knew. And the devil simply came and stole away the seed. So you can hear a sermon like this and you can have a very hard heart and nothing that I've said will touch you. You will not repent. You will not follow Jesus. And you will not become a fisher of men even though that's what the book of Mark says we must do. So the devil comes and he takes away the word from our heart so that we don't believe the word and we are not saved. In the end, we're lost. I know today I'm the farmer. I'm scattering the seed. And some of you who are listening will tune in for a few minutes and then you're gone. And your heart's hard. And you're not going to buy what I'm saying. Even though it's straight scripture. Because you know what you believe. You've made it up out of your own understanding. Then the soil becomes rocky. And the seed falls on that rocky soil. It is those who receive the word with great joy. Wow, this is great. I have a new understanding. I understand the kingdom of God. I must repent. 
but you're quickly turned aside by your interest in sports. You're quickly turned aside by your interest in whatever it is that you love with your heart, for we all follow what our heart loves. And so the seed sprouts, and we say, I got it. This is great. And then very quickly we're gone. We fall away. So that there is no fruit produced in our life. I tell you, I love those of you who have walked with me. And I've heard from many of you. Many of you are the ones who contribute regularly. You listen to this word. As one dear brother said, I came to Christ listening to this broadcast. Others of you have said, my walk has been deepened in Jesus and I have seen Jesus in a whole new way. And I have repented and given up everything of the world, the flesh and the devil. Wow. That's so encouraging to my heart. Because it says you're not rocky soil where you hear and you say, this is great, I love what this preacher is saying. And then you never come back. You disappear. You have shallow soil. There are too many rocks in your life, things that you are hard about, hard opinions. You're right. You're angry. And then he says, There's seed that fell among the thorns. I'm reading now for you from Luke, the 8th chapter, verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries. That is, they are choked by life's responsibilities, by paying the bills by taking care of the children, by going to work, by going to school. Your life is so full of activities, you have no time to pray, no time to spend those hours with Jesus. One dear woman, she said, I found I was too tired at night. My grandchildren wanted me to read them stories and have worship with them. So I changed my time to the morning. And that's working much better. So she's up early. She doesn't want the word of God choked out in her life by the, by the thorns, by her responsibilities that she needs to take care of. Some are choked out by, by riches, by money, by money concerns. Do we have enough money? I've talked to you about the brothers from Cuba. I love these, these men and their mom. They were telling me this last Sunday as they were preaching the word of god they were they were asking the question 
do you believe the 23rd Psalm? And everybody said, oh, yes. Yes, we believe the 23rd Psalm. Well, let me ask you that question. You who are listening right now to Pilgrim's Progress, do you believe in the 23rd Psalm? Oh, yes, I believe in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down and greet. Do you really believe the 23rd Psalm? Do you believe that Jesus is your shepherd or do you believe you've got to go out and make it yourself? Do you believe you can obey Jesus and do what he asks you to do and he will provide all that is necessary for you? Do you believe that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that these other things, clothes and shelter and food, will all be given to you? I believe it. I believe the 23rd Psalm is is real. I believe it's right. I believe it's God's word to me. Well, this, this third area, thorns choke out the fruit that could have been born. The soil is good. But the love of money prevents them from bearing any fruit. They don't have time to witness. They don't have time to minister the name of Christ. They don't have time. They've got to hurry on. Well, then there's one more. It's life's responsibilities, the love of money, and third is the love of pleasure. Well, my television show's on. I've, I, I can't read the Bible now. I can't pray now. I've got to go watch my TV show. It's, we watch it every evening or we watch it once a week. This is, our, this is our time. It will cause you not to be able to produce a crop for Jesus Christ. It will steal from you the crop that God would bring forth in your life. It could be any other pleasure. The pleasures of life that steal from you the time. It could be the internet. It could be videos. It could be movies. It could be collecting something. It could be a sport. It could be any number of things that takes first place in your life. When you have free time, that's where you're at. Where are you when you have free time? Are you in the TV? Are you in the entertainment? Are you into sports? Again, every man and every woman will go where their love is. Their love will lead them. Is your love for Jesus Christ? Is your love for the kingdom of God? Now, there's one more. There's a fourth soil. This is those who hear the word 
They retain the word. They don't let the devil steal it. They don't let shallow soil and tribulation and trial cause them to turn aside. They don't allow things that entertain them to steal. Instead, they are persevering. They continue to go to the prayer closet. They continue to read the scriptures. And they continue to wait upon Almighty God. And that's why this passage of scripture, I don't know if I have time to turn to it again, it's so important to me. When I read this, I just shouted with joy. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. He will make you strong, firm, steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. This fourth kind of soil perseveres, stands by faith, waits on God a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years. 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I've been waiting on God for 50 years to bring the answer to my cry before him to bring revival to Washington, D.C., and he will do it. I never thought when I was young that I would wait for 50 years, that I would patiently wait before God The National Prayer Chapel is not national. In fact, it's it's not even a real viable entity today. It's waiting for Jesus to build it, and he will build the National Prayer Chapel. He will build a people who will cry aloud to God in revival. It may not be an institution. It probably won't be. It'll probably be a great movement of people as they come before God and repent of their sin and turn and become fishers of men. Oh, we're out of time. I hope today's been helpful to you. I pray that you are the good soil that you are not going to walk away in your own interpretation of the scriptures. Well, I'd love to hear from you. We're in a new month. If you'd like to be a part of this ministry of Jesus, this gospel work, 
please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you're watching on YouTube, would you subscribe to our channel? And if you would, if the Holy Spirit calls you and moves you, would you go to the upper right-hand corner and click on Donate? And it'll open a new window where you can donate to help cover the cost of this radio broadcast. My brother, my sister, thank you for listening and giving and contributing. I'd love to meet you. I hope one day soon I can. God bless you. I love you. Talk to you soon.